0: sometimes my passion uh is it eclipses my self-control and i get to screaming and i've caught that i was at home um uh, just about two months ago and i was watching a football game the lions were in it and they were getting beat again and uh was watching it with nick and the worse they were getting beat the madder i was getting i told Mike Boswell before the service began, I hope there's a place inside of holiness for anger, because I feel it every time I watch the lions play. (laughs) And while I was watching this game, uh, my wife is inside the kitchen and she's got her laptop going, playing something and somebody's talking and they're screaming. And I got, watching the lions, I got madder and madder and madder. And I finally got up and I went out into the kitchen and I said to Lori, honey, would you turn big mouth off because we're getting beat in there? And I looked and she was listening to me. (laughs) That's when I knew there was a problem. So I'm asking for energy, but I'm also asking for a dial that I can control this and I can say it in tones that maybe it would be easier for you here. We have been talking about a one another community. And we said at the very beginning that this one another community is something like a cloud of witnesses right here where we love one another. That's one another. (laughs) And we said that it was responsible that when we loved one another, it took on different forms. One of those was to accept one another. Another one was to encourage one another Another one was to teach one another. Thank you, two of you. Another one was to confess to one another and forgive one another's sins. And then last week we talked about serving one another. And finally, today we're going to talk about Praying for one another. Now, what we said is that when the body of Christ functions as the body of Christ and not just a collection of individuals sitting on Christian soil, but when they actually live together as the body of Christ where their lives are as intertwined with each other's lives as the Father's life is intertwined in the Son's, then it becomes a one-another community. And this community accepts people, all people, people that are not like themselves, into their community. After that, they begin to encourage them before they try to change them. Then after they encourage them, they learn from them as much as they teach them. They go into a listening mode. What does this person who is not like us know about God that we do not know? Then we begin to confess our sins one to another and forgive each other While we confess them, the teaching and the admonishing is what triggers the confession. And then because some sins or the result of them hang on after we confess them, we carry one another's burdens or we serve one another in love. And finally, we come out of that and we pray for one another. A couple of summaries. First, this is uh, not a community that you look for. This is a community that you help to create. Typically, uh, when people are leaving college church, going to another part of the country, I will get a phone call or an email, and they will say, as I go to another city, tell me what kind of church to look for. And I will list... um, Two or three things that I think make for strong bodies. But at the end of the day, there's another question just as important, and it is, what are you going to bring into whatever church that you attend? Because typically what happens is people come into churches wanting all six of these things, and when they don't find it, they leave. But remember, this is not something you come to church looking for. It's something you come to church committed to bringing whatever is there. It's not in a box and everybody draws from it. It's in a box and everybody puts into it. It's only in giving these things to others that we find them for ourselves. The second thing is that each one of us in this room right now probably are stronger in one of these things than we are in others. And so as the needs in our church shift from one season to another... Certain players become more active and more valuable at that time because they can bring more of what is needed at that time. Therefore, each one of us does not possess all of these to the same degree. That is the beauty in all of us. Third, when a body functions like this, They become an attractive social option for the rest of the world. We win the world not by fighting against it with rhetoric. We win by living out a beautiful alternative that is attractive. Yes. 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 Just say yes, because that was right. Now this last one is the disciples coming to Jesus in John chapter 11 and they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. Jesus went right into the Lord's prayer. First question this morning, who taught you to pray? and thought of that. Who taught you how to pray? I mean, who taught you what to say when you're praying? And who taught you the character of the one that you're praying to? Who taught you the structure, the posture, the language, the theology? Where did you learn those kinds of things? When I was a kid, we had what was called prayer meetings. You remember these where people, old people would get, they were all old when you're 12, they would get into a room and they would start praying out loud. And then in the evening services, we had evening services back then, back in the horse and buggy days, we went into a season of testimonies. And then after testimonies, the preacher would say, now it's time to go into a, quote, season of prayer. And season of prayer meant everybody needed to get out of their seats. And they kneeled, and they buried their faces in the back of the pew. I remember him saying, now if you're too old to kneel, stay in your seats. (laughs) And I remember watching old people like, I'm not too old. And they would get down and you looked across the whole sanctuary and people had their faces buried in their seats and they started praying out loud. And while they were praying, you could hear other people going, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do it, Lord. That's right, Lord. Like they were piling on. They were talking back and forth. And then when the prayer was over, we would stand up and then my dad would preach. It always took them longer to stand up than it did to get down. Well, I was reflecting on that not long ago and I thought, now that the prayer meeting is absent in most congregations and now that prayer groups have evolved into Bible studies, who's teaching us how to pray? In many churches, the only time we hear somebody other than ourselves pray is in the morning worship service. And that's always the professional. And he reads it part of the time. Lasts about three minutes in the flow of an entire worship service. And while I would not minimize these things, and in fact, I'm not suggesting we change everything, shut down and say we're all going to go to prayer. The purpose of a worship service is worship. Prayer is one of the functions in a worship service. But it is a fraction of the time we give to preaching or music and even the announcements. So my point is not that we should change the way we worship so the whole hour is spent in prayer. My point is this is not an adequate method for learning to pray. You can't pray at home the way people pray in front of you in church. Shoot, he don't even pray like that at home. I bet he don't read his prayers when he gets home. And I bet they're longer than three. So where are we going to learn to pray now that the groups are doing something else? In the book of Acts, we have some marvelous images of a one another community here that's praying together. Let me tell you a few of them. Right after Judas hung himself... The disciples were together in in Acts chapter 1, 23 through 26, and they needed to find a replacement. It said they gave themselves to fasting and to prayer, and after they prayed together, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. Is that luck? Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are drugged before the chief priests and the elders. And after they reamed them out for healing somebody in Jesus' name, go figure. Remember, they said, Whose name did you do this? Peter never shy says, it was the name given among heaven whereby you all must be saved. Okay, you know, that's dial it down, Peter. Control it a little bit. You're gonna get killed. So after the elders Throw them out of their courts. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, the disciples went back to their own company and reported everything that the elders had said to them. Now wait for the language. And when the people heard it, they gathered together in prayer. And this is what they said Ah, sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth, the seas, and everything in them. You spoke through your prophets and you spoke through your servant David. Now behold their... And help my microphone. Behold their threats and give courage to your servants that we may speak the word of God with boldness. And when they were finished praying, the place was shaken where they were praying. And the disciples got up and they went out and they proclaimed the word with a fierce intensity. Acts chapter six, the church was getting larger. The apostles were getting drawn into the tactical side of things. And they said, why don't you appoint somebody to do the tactical things so we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the study of the word. Acts chapter 12 Peter is in prison and there's a group of disciples meeting inside of Mary's home praying for Peter while he is in prison. While they're praying, the Lord sends an angel into the prison and rattles the chains free. Peter gets up, walks out of prison untouched and unseen. Goes over to the house where the people are praying and in the middle of the prayer meeting He knocks on the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda opens the door, and she's shocked. She can't believe it. It's Peter. He's supposed to be in prison. She leaves him standing at the door. You might want to say, come on in. She just goes, whoa, turns around, runs in, and tells the disciples, Peter is at the front door. They said, he can't be. He's in prison. She says, go look. And Peter comes powerful story of how God answers prayer while the disciples are praying. Acts chapter 13, the disciples are gathering together and they are worshiping and they are fasting and they are praying. Listen to the language. And while they were worshiping, not afterwards, while they were in the middle of it, the Lord said to them, take Paul and Barnabas and set them aside. This is not an answer to prayer that happens after we pray. It's an answer to prayer that happens while we're in the middle of the conversation. The disciples learned early and often that something happens when people get together and pray. Where are you going with this? Well, the question that has been nagging me all week is, is there something that a praying community can do together that an individual cannot do by praying alone. In other words, is there something of the triune God who is three in one that can only be learned by a body? It cannot be learned by an individual. And is there something about human relationships which can only be learned when humans touch one another in prayer. No other relationship on the planet is like the relationship of prayer. So what do we know of each other that is only knowable when we pray together? What I've noticed is that in the contemporary church, prayers take two forms, public, one person in front of you, and private, one person in a room alone. A community prayer is an intermediary step between what is public for everybody and what is purely a private act. What is the first image that comes to your mind when you think of God in prayer. Take a moment. Is it this? The beauty of this is that it captures the otherness of God, the reverence of God, the bigger than life. Or is it this? The beauty of this is that it captures the intimacy of God, the closeness, the proximity of God. I'm going to remind you that it's more like this. Now, I'm going to draw Rublev's Trinity. Are you ready? I admit His is slightly more appealing. (laughs) But I can mark on mine. And when I draw the triune God inside of the one another community, and I think of it in terms of prayer, two things change in my mind. I was not ready for this. The first one, is that when we pray as a community, it is not an individual who is praying and it is not an individual we are praying to. It is a community who is praying and it's a communion that we're praying to. And that changes everything. Because it means our prayers now have two dimensions, not one they have a vertical dimension, where we are all calling on the name of God, and we are asking God to place himself inside of our community. But it also has now a horizontal dimension, in that I am coming with other people around me, As one voice, let me say it a little bit differently, not as a collection of voices, but as one single voice. Now, what happens typically when communities pray in small groups is something like this. Does anybody have any prayer requests? This opens up the floor for about 20 to 30 minutes of prayer requests, Each request takes a short summary. By the time the 30 minutes is over, there's precious little time for prayer. So what happens then is we take notes on what we're going to pray for this week. And then we bow our heads and we start to pray. And when we pray, it is a series of individuals coming as individuals before an individual saying it's a series of soloists. We take turns praying. Okay, I'm done. Now you pray. Father about my mother's back. See it? I'm not, I'm not diminishing this at all. I'm just saying it's one way to pray. But it is something else when the whole body comes with a person and stands in front of the community and they say together what one person is saying. Now one person is not talking all the time. Now they're all talking. <laughs> And they're all talking about the same thing. This is why the old people with their heads in the pews were saying, yes, Lord, do it, Lord. This is why they were piling on. They weren't divvying up the prayer requests. They were all getting in to each prayer request. So what we might do is we might come before God and as a body lift our prayers up to God. Speaking alongside of one another, with one another. And then, while we're listening to God, we are a body, so now we can do things we couldn't do alone. What are those? One of the things we get when we pray as a body that we don't usually get alone is courage. We get to borrow the strength from other people around us. So the disciples go down in prayer and while they're praying, Peter is listening to John and John is listening to Thomas. And so by the time they're done, they have a collective strength and power that none of them had alone. And they stand up and they say, let's go proclaim the word with boldness. We have a discernment. God is so vast we cannot interpret him on our own. When we gather in a community, we are gathering with people who have multiple ways of accessing God. Now we can turn to one another and say, what did you hear while we were praying? Typically what happens is as soon as the amen is over, the Bible study ends. But it might just be Because while we're praying, God could be speaking to individuals in the group, giving words of wisdom and counsel to other people that are in the group. So the conversation might go something like this. You know, uh, Steve, while you were praying, I was thinking, are you sure you want to wait I think maybe you should do that now. Why? Why do you? Well, I don't know. But while you were praying, I heard the Lord say things to me. And I think this is what I heard him say. Now the rest of the body is there. They can listen to it and they can discern it. They can clarify it or they can sharpen it. But now I can walk away from a season of prayer with more discernment than I had alone. See, when I pray alone, I always say, God, give me wisdom. And then I stand up and say, well, I don't know how he's really going to do that. But when I pray in a body, he's going to do it while we're praying. Keep moving, Steve. When we pray together, we get more capacity. We get a critical traction inside of a church, inside of a company, inside of a team. When two or three people begin to agree and unite in prayer, they become a force that is harder for the rest of the team to ignore. You put one person on fire for God and a team or a company will absorb that energy in minutes. But you put three or four on fire for God and united around one mind and that's a force nobody can ignore. We now have a collective witness that we didn't have with an individual. Fourth, we get results. While they were praying, Peter walks over and knocks on the door. Ananias, a great example of this. When God converts Saul, knocks him off a horse, makes him blind, sends him off into the corner pray by himself. Now watch what happens in Acts 9. The Lord appears to a man named Ananias. This is what he says. I want you to go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Wait for the language. He is praying at this very moment. So in this moment, God has an old man praying a few miles away, but he has a young man praying in a corner, and in their prayer, he bonds them together. You may wonder sometimes, how does God answer my prayers? Sometimes he answers them through other people who are praying with you in that moment, He does not drop it out of thin air. It could be that the key to your success in praying lies in somebody else. So, how do you access that if you always only pray alone? That's the first thing. It's about the last, too. That's the first thing. When you pray as a community, you're coming as a community, talking to a community. Interrupt your prayers. Talk with each other. You'll have to keep your prayers shorter so people can interject their thoughts alongside of yours. If you pray too long, we're going to be all pooped out by the time you're done. And not only that, but if you give me eight or nine prayer requests before we go to prayer, people, I'm old now. I forgot the first two. I can't remember. But if you give me a prayer request and we stop the prayer meeting right now and we say, what what do we think? God is doing in this person's life right now. Anybody hear anything? Maybe this is how we, how do you guys think we should pray for him? Typically what happens is we just dive right in. We don't know what God wants, so we start talking about what we want, which raises the second point, then I'm going to be done a promise. The second point is this. Remember, when you come before God in prayer, you're not starting the conversation. The conversation has already been going on before you got there. This is powerful. Because if I'm reading the scripture right, Paul tells me in Romans chapter 8, I'm in this body down here. I don't even know how to pray. People, I am at the table of the triune God, not because I'm a human. I am there because the Holy Spirit is inside of me and he pulls me into the presence of God. And Paul says, Steve, when you get there with your people, you don't even know how to pray, but that's okay. Because the Spirit intercedes for you with prayers you don't even know how to utter. I wondered this week as I thought about this. How does the holy triune God speak to himself? He's talking all the time. I know that the son is talking to the father and the Father is talking to the son because I can read the gospels. But then I had the thought, is it possible that the Holy Spirit has chosen to speak to God only through the humans he possesses. The Holy Spirit may not be talking to the Son like this. He may be talking to the Son through you like this. You say, what's the practical part of that? Well, if you don't start the conversation, if you're joining a conversation that's already been going on, then it would be a super good idea for the body to go into a listening posture before they say anything to God. Let's go back to my mother's back. Don't worry, my mother's back is fine. Probably better than yours. Now, before I pray for her, I turn to the body and I say, You guys, this is what's heavy on my heart right now, but I don't know. I don't know what exactly to say. I don't have the language. I'm not even sure I'm praying for the right thing. God raise her and heal her. That just seems too trite to me. Does anybody hear what God is saying to my mother, to my father? Does anybody have any wisdom on what specifically we should be praying for? That's a different prayer. All right, now the nuts and bolts. Here's how I think this affects the way we pray. When we pray as a community, we have a catalytic force that we do not have alone. You can't do this alone. You can move things together that you can't move alone, and we can't move them in here at 11 o'clock or 9.15. You have to pray together. So rule number one is get together together. And somebody say something. When most communities come together to pray, it's usually two or three people who dominate the prayers. And the rest of us go silent. But if we will pray in shorter sentences, not paragraphs, and we will pray for one thing at a time, not one of us, all of us, coming in behind that thing and lifting it up to God, asking the Holy Spirit to give us clarity and wisdom. We might find our prayers are changing in the midst of them. In the middle of them, they might change. But above all things, talk to him. You can do this it does not matter how long you've been a Christian. If you're not a Christian at all, you can do this. I've prayed with countless people who were petrified to pray. All I did was just look at the seat across from me. And I would say, you know how you're sitting there and I'm sitting here. Well, believe it or not, the Bible says that there's someone sitting right here, right? Right. What would you, what would you, what would you say to him? Nancy Swagger is a member of our church. She passed away a couple years ago. I saw her two or three days before she died. You know what she said? She said, Pastor Steve, in a couple of days, I'm going to go see Jesus. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. I said, yeah, that's right. She said, what would you like me to tell him? I said, come again? She said, I can, I can remember. What would you like me to tell him from you? So there it is. What would you like her to tell him? When you get together tonight, tell him yourself. Say it in short sentences. It's not eloquent. The spirit will read it for you. And he'll lift it up. Rule number two, add some structure. Our prayers tend to drift in a hundred different directions, hoping that one of them will stick. So Jesus goes in and says, when you pray, pray like this. Our father, not my father, our father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Give us, not me, us, this day, our daily bread, and forgive us, not me, us, our corporate transgressions. Just as we have forgiven others, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. The evil one. So when you pray, you can structure it like this. Take a moment and speak to God about the character of God. God, ah, the one thing I love about you is that you are holy. Then speak to God about the campaign of God. God, You have an agenda. You are already working in this world. I pray that the things I am working on with you will come to pass. Then pray about your daily needs. Oh God, I am distracted. I am tired. I'm frustrated. I'm too easily angered. I am hungry. I am lost, I'm confused, give me bread. Little boy came into church and just before the prayer started, he just said right out loud, Dear God, heal my mama. And then finally, confess. Jesus, I am sorry.